0: Let's pray. We'll get started. It won't be a uh, won't be a sermon. It will be uh, a sermonette. uh, Believe it or not, this will be for those of you that are called the Point Community Church. This may be surprising to you, but like uh, the first, maybe like the third time I ever preached, I preached in my grandfather's church. So my grandfather uh, was a pastor. He pastored at Glens Creek Baptist Church, where they do the living nativity scene every year in Versailles. And so my my grandfather, he's my grandfather, also my mentor, and so. Um, he asked me to come and to preach. It was my second time preaching in his church. It was on a Sunday night. I preached um, out of the book of Galatians. I did the uh, fruit of the spirit. So there are seven fruits of the spirit. And I preached, when I finished, I preached uh, 18 minutes. On the seven fruits of the spirit, I preached 18 minute sermon on that. And so uh, when I'd finished, my grandpa came up to me and he said, son, that was a heck of a sermonette. He said it wasn't a sermon. He said he has to break over that 30 minute mark for it to be a sermon, but it was a great sermonette. But he said, just don't do it very often because sermonettes make Christianettes with their little Bibleettes and they're of no use to the kingdom of God because you're to make Christians, not Christianettes. And so Christians need sermons. And so this will be a rarity I'm going to try to shoot for, certainly a sermonette. And so uh, in doing so, I just want to look at two verses from the text that, um the Sharp family read for us just verses number six and seven. But let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we come to you with full hearts, Lord. As we sing these songs, many of us we we grew up hearing them, and they're they're reminiscent of just the words that we sung, and truths and memories, and all of these. But Lord, they're 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 true. There is true. They're as true as when we sang them for some of us as two year olds, and as we saw here, and four year olds, and six year olds, eight year olds, all the way up to even as we sing them now, they are still so true because they are about you, Jesus, and who you are and what you've come to do. That we celebrate you, Jesus. We celebrate this baby born in a manger who is the eternal God who would come and be a savior for the world, for anyone for whosoever will, for whoever would put faith and trust in him can be forgiven of their sin and can be made right with you and can enter into eternal life with you. Oh, what joy, what greater gift. There is no greater gift we could receive, no greater gift we could discuss, no greater gift that that we could talk about than who you are, Jesus Christ. And so we just give you thanks as we look at this ancient text, an old prophecy spoken about you, but we dig into the truths that are spoken here about you. In your name that we pray, amen. Um, for the last couple of weeks at uh, here at the Point Community Church on our Sunday morning gathering, we've been looking at um, Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, who Jesus would be and what Jesus would do. We started off a few weeks ago, we looked in the book of Genesis, all the way back in the first book of the Bible, uh, in, among the first chapters of the Bible, Jesus is spoken about. Now his name doesn't show up, but he shows up in a, in a, in a prophecy spoken to to Adam and Eve that Moses records for us that's given in the book of Genesis in the third chapter. And there Jesus is called the seed of a woman. Then, in fact, the, the description given is, is right after the fall of man, right after man has diso- disobeyed God and right after God has levied the punishment for that, God speaks a word of hope. And he says, there will be a, a seed of a woman. There will be a, a child that will come an offspring of a woman. And what he says is that he will, he will bruise the head of the serpent, who is Satan, the one who's tempted Eve into sin. And Eve has talked to Adam into the sin and the sin fall prey. He says, no, there's going to come one who is going to strike your head. A, a man will come, a boy, a child will come and he will strike your head and you're going to bite at his heel. And so what we see in that prophecy, what we said there is Jesus will be the the sacrificial warrior head crusher. That's who Jesus will be. He will be a human, a boy who will come and he will be a sacrificial warrior and he will crush, he will defeat the enemy of God. Then a few weeks, uh, a a week after that, um, actually Pastor Derek preached on Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And in that prophecy in Isaiah 7, what we saw was a man will be born of a virgin. It's going to be a miraculous birth and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. We pick up in the New Testament and we see that as the New Testament writers, they look back on that prophecy and say, this is he, this is Emmanuel. God is come who is with us. And in that we see it highlights Jesus' deity. Then in Genesis, we see Jesus' humanity being, Jesus being a human being highlighted. He will be a, a human. He'll be born of a woman. But here what we see is Jesus's deity being highlighted. He will be God who will be with us. He will be God among us. He will be God coming to give us hope, even in the midst of our fears, even in the midst of God's own judgment being levied. That's what's happening in Isaiah 7, but Emmanuel will come. Yesterday, we looked at Isaiah number, Isaiah chapter 11. The prophecy was the, the shoot of the root of Jesse. What we said there is Jesse is the one who is uh, to, to produce the, the lineage of an eternal king. That Jesse was David's father. And what this is a prophecy about Jesus and saying that Jesus would be a king. We looked at the characteristics of King Jesus and some of the characteristics of his kingdom, namely the peace that he establishes in Christ. And now what we find in Isaiah 9 is we have kind of a mingling of all of these characteristics. Jesus is humanity and Jesus is deity and Jesus is king and Jesus as a suffering servant. We have all of that in this one prophecy. The mingling of the supernatural and the natural. Jesus is being fully human and fully God. And this is so rich. And so let us look at just these two verses. The prophet Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In fact, we can just, we'll stop there. The first line in chapter six, what we see is Jesus's humanity is being established in those first words. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. This is echoing back of that Genesis 3 prophecy. We can see as this is being, that this is a fulfillment of that. This child has come. This boy is coming. These two prophecies, they, they, they are one voice, one prophecy being worked together. But I want you to notice, if you would, the recipient of this child. To whom is this child coming? For to us. To the hearers of this prophecy, to us who read this in this text, it is to us, to us as humans, Jesus is being given. It's the, almost the same announcement that we read about in Luke chapter 2, in the birth story of Christ, that as the angels come and they go to those shepherds right outside of Bethlehem, and they say these words to those angels, for unto you, golly, what great words. For unto you, for unto this world, for unto humanity, for unto meek, lowly shepherds such as you, to sinners like us, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good grief. What great words. What great truth. What great news. Isaiah says that, On the shoulders of this child will be laid the weight of the government of his people. So you've got a baby being born and laying on his shoulders is the full weight of a government. So a couple of things we can say about that. What does that mean for us? Well, number one, it means that Jesus is a ruler. Jesus is a king. Like we, we know that, but we establish that. We need to think about that in our own thoughts and in our own minds. This baby born in a manger, he will be a ruler. He is a king, The government will be, a new government will be laid upon his shoulders. The kingdom of God, that Jesus is by Jesus's birth, that through Jesus, God the father is ushering in the kingdom of God. That as Jesus comes on the scene and as Jesus grows, as Jesus starts his earthly ministry, his first sermon, and you can better bet you it was probably longer than 18 minutes, but Jesus' first sermon was simply this, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The first words recorded of Jesus' preaching is a call to repentance And why should we repent? Why should we turn from our sin? Why should we be cleansed of our sin? Why should we, I mean, what he's saying there is you're outside of the kingdom, you're outside of God, and you must come to God. And he says the way, the door to the kingdom of God is through repentance. But he's saying there is we are to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus is bringing God's kingdom to us. As Jesus finishes his earthly ministry, after Jesus is, crucifixion, Jesus' resurrection. After Jesus spends 40 days with his disciples, Jesus will ascend on high. And right before doing that, Matthew records this in Matthew 28, Jesus will say this to his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. It's the same thing that Isaiah is saying here, that the government will be laid upon his shoulders, that he will bear the weight of, of a government that all authority will be given to Jesus. That Jesus ascends. And where does he go after he sins? Well, you, well you, maybe you can answer that question. Where does Jesus go after he sins? Well, he goes to heaven, but what does he do? Actually, Daniel 7 tells us, as well as a number of other prophecies, and when Jesus arrives in heaven after being resurrected and ascending on high, that Jesus sits, the writer of Hebrews says this well, Jesus sits on a throne. That right now, where is Jesus? Where, right now, where is he? He's not a baby born in a manger. We celebrate that. We remember that, but that's not where he is. He's not on a cross. He's on a throne in heaven. I remember one time, I don't think it was for Christmas, but I think it was for Easter. One year I asked my grandfather, I was like, hey, Paul, would you buy me a, would you buy me a cross? And I, I wasn't even a believer at this time. I wasn't a Christian, but you know, I wanted a cross, a, a necklace with a cross on it. I said, would you buy me one? And I had one picked out in a, in a magazine. My grandpa always got, he always got all those mailers in the, in the mail. Like some of you, you know, I was like, all these magazines. And I'd gone through there, I'd circled one. And it was a gold cross with a silver Jesus on the cross. It was a, it was a crucifixion. You know, a crucifix. I'm sorry, it was a crucifix is what it was. And I asked my grandma, I was like, hey, would you buy me this? And this, my grandfather said, uh, he's like, I'll buy you a cross, but I won't buy you a cross with Jesus on it. I'm like, really? I, I mean, I thought it was trying to be really religious. I thought he'd be proud of me that I wanted one, you know? I mean, it's not like I wanted a pentagram or something. You know, I wanted, you know, something like, but seem religious. My grandfather goes, no, no, no. He's like, and here's why, because that's not where Jesus is, son. That's where Jesus was for a moment in time. But that is not where he is now. Jesus is not in a manger. He's not in a cave. He's not a little baby. He's not, certainly not on a cross. Where is he right now? He's on a throne where he's reigning and ruling. Scripture says he's holding the very cosmos together by the power of his word. That is where he is. I guess some of you, 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 you may want to get your, ta- your tattoo touched up, right? Right? You may need to get a new tattoo that like has Jesus. If you got the crucifix, and now a new arrow pointed with Jesus on a, on a throne. Like that'd be probably be a pretty cool tattoo if you ask me, you know, like if I could have found that as a necklace, I bet my grandpa would have bought that for me. Jesus reigning and ruling on a throne because that's where he is. And that's what this prophecy is speaking about. Jesus as an eternal King, Jesus is now currently right now on this day, Jesus is in heaven on a throne, reigning and ruling, which brings us to the next question, is what kind of reign and what kind of rule, what kind of king is Jesus? That's a great question to ask. You know, every couple of years we get to vote and elect officials and we we asked ourselves, those, what, kind of, what kind of governmental official is this person going to be? And we're kind of guessing as we go in there and make check marks. And what are they going to stand for? And we try to ask good questions. We try to be informed voters. And the question should be even here, what kind of king is King Jesus? For those of you who have ever read *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*, the a, a, a story by C.S. Lewis that has uh, it's, it's kind of allegorical in nature. It's really speaking about a lot of things in in Christian life. The movies *Narnia* that Disney produced they really have a lot to do with uh, with scriptural truths and who Jesus is. And even, in fact, Aslan, the lion, is a, a picture of Jesus. And there's a moment in uh, *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*—probably my favorite part in the whole books, um, it, uh, even though it's been years since I've since I've looked at them and read them, but there's a part there where Susan asks Beaver about about Aslan and says, is is Aslan a human? Like we're humans? And Beaver says, oh no. Aslan's a lion. A mighty, I think even a mighty lion. The king of all the beasts. And like the kids get like scared. They're like, whoa! whoa, whoa we're getting ready to, because they're getting ready to meet Aslan. We're getting ready to meet a lion? Like we're human, he's a lion. It's like, but what kind of lion is he? Is he a tame lion? And I don't think Beaver helps him out here. because no, 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 he's not a tame lion. He's a wild lion. And the question is like the same question that Susan has is like, what kind of king is King Jesus? And so Isaiah gives this to us. He says his name and he gives us this. It's actually a set of, of, um, there's four pairs of two words being linked together, making a chain. that's giving us a picture of who Jesus is. What we see in these, uh, in these four pairs, eight descriptors of Jesus, is we see the mingling of Jesus' natural and supernatural. Jesus is the God-man. And it tells us what Jesus is like. The first one that Isaiah gives for us is he says that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. Now, wonderful here, what it means to, uh, what it refers to is uh, Jesus' supernatural power to perform miracles. That Jesus will be endowed with power, and Jesus will display that power in the working of miracles. I I, I Still, I think it shows Jesus' heart in the type of miracles that he works He doesn't just, you know, cause earthquakes and fire from heaven, but he heals the sick and he feeds the hungry. And ultimately his resurrection is a picture of his wonderful supernatural power. He's a wonderful counselor though. He's powerful, supernatural power, but he comes as a counselor. It refers to the, the giving of wise advice. As advisor, would advise the king, even though Jesus is in no need of a counselor to advise, Jesus is the one who gives the best advice. Jesus speaks God's word to us and Jesus through his word gives us, he enlivens, he enlivens the word to us and Jesus is the one who gives the best advice. That it, with each one of these, it's not just a matter of who Jesus was and even his ministry in heaven but it's how we receive Christ it's how we experience Christ even now that Jesus is right now because he's alive and well reigning and ruling on a throne as we've already discussed but Jesus right now is a wonderful counselor are you in need of some advice Are you in a crisis in your life? Hey, should I go to the right? Should I go to the left? What should I do? Have you been awakened to see like, hey, I don't always make the best choices in my life. I lead my life down a path of misery oftentimes. And maybe you need to stop trusting in yourself. Maybe your friends aren't the best ones to give you advice. Maybe you need to enter in a new friend and his name is Jesus. And maybe he's the one that can give you advice. How does he give you advice? Well, he gives you advice through his word. That as Jesus ascends on high, Jesus gives the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit enlivens God's word to us. Like there was a time and before you were a believer, for those of you here are believers, when you were an unbeliever, that you could read God's word. You could even maybe like in your own intellect, you could understand God's word, but God's word wasn't alive to you. That Jesus sends the Spirit and the Spirit makes God's word alive to you. It enlivens it to you so that it becomes truth and wisdom for you to listen to and obey and to heed. I mean, it's all those things apart from us. It's not us that's making that. It's that Jesus that removes the veil from our eyes. He removes the veil from our hearts so that we can believe it. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. This is the doctrine of incarnation in one phrase, mighty God. The baby born in the manger in Bethlehem, he is God. He is a mighty God. This is the language used to describe, describe men of valor, men of war. He's a conquering God. This shows the infinite power of Jesus, our Savior, who is an omnipotent warrior who will someday return to earth to finally do away with all of God's enemies with the sword from his mouth. Jesus brings might and he brings power into our lives. He humbles us and gives us humble courage, humble courage to follow him, humble courage as we face adversity, humble courage as we face persecution. He is an eternal father. This is the natural and the supernatural. That the title Father is, it's obviously an everyday word, an everyday title, but it's coupled with eternal. And that makes it supernatural. It's not, he's not the first person of the Trinity. He's not saying that. Jesus is distinct from the Father. He is the Son, but this is a description of Jesus' disposition and Jesus' relationship with his subjects as a king. What is Jesus like with his people? Well, he's like a he's like a father is with his son. He's a father whose going forth is from eternity past and will continue forever. I don't know what kind of, I don't know what kind of relationship you had with your dad or what kind of emotions your dad was able to elicit in your lives. But man, I just know him from my own experience. There was a comforting peace about my dad's presence being around. My dad worked a ton. He always owned his own businesses. My dad be gone out late doing stuff, working late. And I remember as a kid, you know, my mom would put me to bed. We'd go to bed. My brother, sister would be all there. But there was just something discomforting, right? When, when your dad wasn't there. I remember I hear the kitchen door open up. My dad come in, the door shut. I hear my mom say like, you know, welcome home, Butch. Glad you're finally made it home. Oh, well, you know, and I hear that. And, and it was just like in that moment when dad came home, it was like comfort. And again, I, that may not have been your experience, but that was, that was my experience. It was just peace that comes from the presence of dad being at home. And Jesus brings us into our lives, which couples into the last part where we see the peace coming in. The eternal father, he's bringing peace because he is the prince of peace. The prince is a government official, a ruler. He's a ruler who brings peace and it's characterized by peace. This is the very thing that most warlike conquering kings could never bring about is how can they be a conquering king warlike, as we've already looked at, mighty God, and yet also bring peace. But yet Jesus promises and speaks of peace over and over and over. Jesus tells his disciples, peace, 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 peace. We're in the book of John starting in January again. So we'll be at this very place in just a couple of months. But in John 14, 27, Jesus tells his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither neither let them be afraid. That most of all, Jesus gives us peace because he gives us eternal peace with God by his death on the cross. And as we even talked about yesterday, it's through the death of Christ that Jesus opens up a way for us to know God and to experience true peace. Peace with God that will last all of eternity. It's my prayer for us together, that in the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of all that is Christmas, that we focus in on who Jesus is and how, how to know Jesus more deeply. And Scripture gives that to us as we even see tonight. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. It's active and powerful. Thank you, Jesus, that you, that you've come to this earth. That you bring, the angels spoke good tidings of great joy. Because to us, in the city of David, a Savior was born. A Savior who was Jesus, wonderful counselor, mighty God. Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, our praise be under your name for that is who you are, Jesus. Thankful for the way that you've come. You've come in humility to us and you came willing to die, die for us, die in our place as a substitute that through our faith, the empty hands of our faith, we can have new life in you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that as we pray to your Father through your name right now that you are on a throne where you're reigning and you're ruling and you're mediating for us. You sit in a seat of power and a seat of intercession and mediation for us. All glory be unto you. In your name we pray, amen.